Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. God, we we love you. We thank you for being our God and for calling us into this relationship with you, with your Son, with the Spirit. Bless this church. Bless your churches throughout the world. Empower them to live for your glory and for your kingdom. May we be a place of grace a place of service. May we show the love of Jesus as we have been loved by him. This morning, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I forgot the cafe, so come to the cafe after church and have snacks. Okay, so let's continue. We're working through the book of Acts. As I was reading, I I try to read through it a a bunch of times just to kind of get familiar with the way things flow through the book. And it really is this beautiful, historic account of how the Spirit of God took over the lives of just ordinary people and birthed the church. And And I love the fact it's just ordinary people, just like you and I. And that God worked through them in such a powerful way that this thing called the church has been going on for thousands of years. They were people who allowed themselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they submitted themselves to that filling. They submitted themselves to hear from God and then do what God was asking of them. Think about it that Christians for thousands of years, have been trying to emulate that church, the church that we read in Acts. We've always been trying to get back to the, not only the simplicity of it, but the beauty of it, continually, continually pressing into it. And so we finished with chapters one, we finished chapters two, three. We saw some amazing things come, uh, take place. Chapter one, Jesus says, hang out, people. I'm headed back to dad. Power's gonna come on you. And so he, he ascends, chapter 2, the spirit, the answer to the promise. Chapter 3, Peter heals this guy, this, this, this beggar who begged at the, the temple gates, spent his entire life not able to walk. And now as we venture into chapter 4, we're going to see that something is going to take place in this chapter that has been a consistent theme throughout Christianity. And that is persecution. It started all the way at the beginning that Christians are going to take heat for being Christian. Christians are going to take some heat for proclaiming Jesus. It's something that we have lived with as a movement all of the Christian, throughout all Christian history. So Acts 2, believers are filled with the Spirit. 
Acts 3, the Spirit manifests itself in healing. Acts 4, those who now will live the Christian faith will be persecuted. Now, it shouldn't be any surprise to the church or even to the disciples back then. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed, if, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. There's a lot going on. I can preach on this verse alone, but there's a lot going on in here. And what Jesus is telling the disciples is that if you belonged to the world, now the, the definition of world in this context is anything that kind of pushes against the gospel, anything that stands in opposition to the gospel message. That is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the world. If you belong to that group of people, that movement then the world would would love you because the world welcomes the darkness. But see, darkness hates light. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. See, light exposes what's hidden in the darkness. So when you stand for Christ, when you stand for light, when you stand for the gospel, what Jesus is saying is that the world is going to hate you. Not that the world might, or there's a good possibility that it will, but the world will hate you. And he bases that on the fact that it hated him first. It hated Jesus so much that it tortured him and it killed him. So he shouldn't be surprised that the world continually pushes against biblical ethics, biblical morality. The church pushes against the fact that Jesus is the only way to God. The reward for following Christ is not necessarily fame and fortune, but we will be persecuted for it. I love what Mark writes in chapter 10 of his gospel, this this tension in Jesus' words. Sorry about that. What is that? Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Even in the midst of Blessing, material blessing today in our daily lives. Jesus is saying that if you've left all of these things behind for the sake of following him, that there is blessing in that. And in the midst of that blessing, there will also be persecution. Paul writes to Timothy in his second letter that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will be pushed up against People will try to knock you down. They will make fun of you. They will cast insults at you. So now remember, review. Peter heals this guy. They head into the temple. This guy is off the hook. He's running, he's jumping, he's praising, he's shouting out loud. He's been healed. 
and people start to take notice. He's starting to uh, attract attention to himself. So much so that pe- uh, Peter decides to give another sermon. And so he, he figures, well, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is on the move. I'm going to take this opportunity with all these people that are gathered around that I have now their attention. I'm going to tell them how this all took place. And he points to the Old Testament. He's in the temple. This is where all the Jews were meeting. And he points them to the Old Testament. And he says, all of the prophets have pointed to this Jesus. Everything that they said points to, points to Jesus. And then he says in um, uh, verse 26 of chapter 3, and God, after he raised Jesus up, he sent them to you, the Jewish people, so that you would be blessed and that you would turn from your wicked ways. So all of this is going on. It's a very public setting. And then chapter 4, this happens. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So with all this commotion taking place with this man who has been healed, he's rejoicing, he's praising God. People have taken notice. And it's been probably a few hours now because we see that it was evening and Peter and John, they go up into the temple about three. And so things have been happening for quite a while. Now the bigwigs take notice. Now the leaders take notice. And Peter and John are going to get arrested. See, I guess the the leaders, they're starting to feel some tension here that um, there's something that is endangering our way of teaching, our way of doing things. The priests, the captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees, they now confront Peter and John. Now, the the, the captain of the guard, he's the guy that kind of makes sure that all of the laws within the temple are followed, and they are enforced by this guy. And he has enforcers, but he makes sure that everything is kind of running the way it needs to be run. Now remember the, the church, the temple that, that Peter and John and all this is taking place in is not like Oasis Church. So we're a local church in a town with many other churches in this town and many other towns with many other churches. This is the temple. This is the center for the Jewish people of political and religious authority. This is like the the capital. This is like Washington, D.C. And maybe we can kind of liken the the captain of the temple guard to like the attorney general who makes sure that the laws are followed to, to the letter and has all the authority to do so. And the priests are part of the ruling class. They, 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 not, only went, they, they not only went before God to, in, in, um, in lieu of the people to perform their priestly duties, but they also would enforce biblical law, Old Testament law. And the Sadducees, the Sadducees were just really, really rich, powerful, well-educated guys And they pushed against the norms of the religious um, Judaism. They didn't believe all the things that, say, the Pharisees believe, who are another part of the ruling class. So these are powerful groups of people on a national level coming and confronting Peter. 
Now we have to remember that these groups were also very corrupt in their daily lives. Very corrupt with, with power. So they take Peter and John into custody. And we see that the church grows, it says, to 5,000 men. And it doesn't include the women. And so the church is pretty big right now. More than 5,000 people. And the Jesus revolution, this, this unfolding movement, is a threat to the religious powers. And not only religiously, but politically, because it's all intertwined back then. And Peter is speaking boldly of the resurrection, something that the Sadducees did not believe to be true. I was reading in one commentary this past week, and it said that the Sadducees were a group of control freaks, evil control freaks. They had a heavy hand, and they were not afraid to use it. And so they arrest Peter and John, they throw them in jail, and possibly arrest the guy that was healed with them. And so they spend the nights in jail. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, picture this in your mind. You have these bigwigs all gathered around, and they're all, they're all dressed to the T in all their religious garb. And they're, they're very uh, well-educated, very snooty. They look down upon the average person. And they surround one healed beggar and two very common blue-collar guys. So the people with all the earthly power have come up against the people who, in this day and age, had no power. And they ask a question because it's always about power. And what power or by what power or what name did you do this? So first we see that they realize something took place that they can't explain. Something amazing has happened and it is a threat to their way of life. And they want to get to the bottom of this. And so they ask them, by what power or what name did you do this? Now this is kind of setting up a trap for Peter and John. Because if they say that any other power by God, other than God, did this, then they are in danger of being killed because... Any other power besides God would be considered demonic, false gods. And if they say that Jesus is God, then they commit heresy saying that just a man who they killed is God. And so they, again, are in danger of being killed. And so we have this tension going on. If they lie, they can be killed. If they tell the truth, they could be killed. And so this is how they respond. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So here it is again. Peter is questioned, and he lays out the gospel. 
He lays out, this is what God is doing. This is how God is redeeming and reconciling everything. And he doesn't hold back at all. Like, it doesn't make sense from a humanistic point of view that he would even bring up this whole resurrection thing because the guys that he's speaking to don't believe in the resurrection. In fact, they demeaned people who said there was such a thing as a resurrection. And if they continue to talk in that, they don't want to be proven wrong. They don't want to look foolish in front of all the people. So they are going to quiet any opposition that stands against what they teach and what they believe. And Peter says, there is salvation in no other name but Jesus. There is no compromise in his words. There is no fear. It's Jesus and only Jesus. And Peter makes sure that the message is, is very clear. And this is, this is how they respond. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. <laughs> so they see these guys, uneducated, fishermen, blue-collar, cla- blue, uh, blue lower in the socioeconomic status than they are. They see the guy that was healed standing with them, And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They saw in them the results of time spent with Jesus, and they could say nothing. They had nothing to say. The men who held all of the worldly power were silenced. I have this sense in me that the church is losing or has lost its courage. It's lost its boldness. And I'm talking church capital C. Lost the the ability or the desire to speak out the gospel message. And in part... It's because we have gotten so caught up and so busy in life that we are not spending time with Jesus. There are too many Christians that are anemic in their relationship with Christ. Reading the Bible has become just kind of an afterthought if it's thought about at all. Prayer has, been, has become that, that mechanism that um, it's, it's the emergency intervention. Things are going wrong. That's when we pray. We ask God, please fix this. I mean, Peter and John are standing against some very well-educated, politically connected, religious men. And, And they are just common people. And they take notice that these guys, they were with Jesus. Jesus has made an impact on their lives. We're losing our voice as a church in our culture. And I believe it's because we have wandered away from intimacy with Christ. We have made Christianity, we have turned it into, or we're turning it into some moralistic deism where we honor morality and good behavior, and that's what it's all about. Or even worse, we've made it into some political mandate or a political party. 
We have lost the influence of Jesus in our lives because we don't know him and we haven't made knowing him the priority of our life. Not a priority, the priority of life. Peter and John now are very well spoken, pretty brave to speak this way because they were with Jesus. And the, the upper crusty people, they could say nothing. Sometimes Christians get a bad name because we take a stand. And usually we take a stand, usually it's against something. And many times that something is something that needs to be taken a stand against. But we do it, we do it many times in our own strength or in our, old bold, or on our own boldness, and we mess things up. We end up pushing people away from Jesus and not inviting them to him. And in part, again, it's because we don't know him. I mean, we know a lot about him. We can regurgitate chapter and verse. We've listened to 764 sermons. We've gone to every Bible study that's ever been written, but we don't know him. Church, we have to know Jesus, not know about him. If we want a voice in our culture, we have to know Jesus. If we want to move in signs and wonders, which are available to us, we have to know Jesus. If you want to make a difference in this world, kingdom difference, eternal difference in this world, we have to know Jesus. Well, these leaders, they don't know what to do. So they send the three guys out and they start to discuss among themselves, what are we going to do? I can imagine, I love to be a fly on the wall in that conversation. It probably was pretty heated as they're bouncing back ideas. Why don't you just kill them? I mean, I'm sure all of these things, nothing was off the table at that point. They don't like the things that were, that, they don't like what just happened. They don't like this name of Jesus being taught and being preached. They killed them to quiet down this, this movement. And so they call the three back in, and they tell them, well, actually, in uh, verse 18 of chapter 4, it says, they commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Ever again, don't do it. And this is, this is what uh, Peter decides to say. Well, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us... We cannot help speaking about what we've seen and what we have heard. As I was thinking through this story, I might have went the route of saying, well, okay, we, we won't. I mean, all, with all good intention of once we left, once I got out of there, I'd be like, yeah, we're not listening to them. But, you know, we had to save our skin. So we just kind of told them what they wanted to hear. I got, I got, we got freed and now we can get back on task. But Peter and John chose to stand firm. Maybe they remembered the words that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, if anyone denies me in front of men, I will deny them in front of my father. And so Peter and John, they don't back down. They move forward in faith and strength in the power of the Holy Spirit. They stand firm for the gospel message that was taught to them through Christ himself. I'm telling you, every man and woman 
who have submitted themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say that, submitting ourselves to the lordship of Christ isn't just a a vocal expression. This is a lifestyle. Submission to Jesus Christ is a way that you live your life. And so those men and women who have submitted themselves to the lordship of Jesus, who are constantly pressing in, building and growing in an intimate relationship with him, those who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and they begin to exercise the faith of who they are, they begin to exercise faith in the gifts that that have been given to them by God himself, those people, those people will manifest the power of God in this world. God will release through those men and women signs and wonders that point to Jesus God will give you the words and the courage to speak life into a dying world, a dying culture. God will give you the power to usher in his kingdom and his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We can't just rest on our laurels and say, well, you know, I am... I prayed for the Holy Spirit a bunch of years ago, so I'm good. And that is great. Like, if, if you've been baptized in the Spirit and, and you're walking in that power, but the question comes down to how are you living in the Spirit? I'm going to beat the dead horse. But prayer must not only remain a lifelong constant in your life, but it must be a priority. It is the spiritual food that nourishes the soul. And I know that there are people, even in this this room, whose souls are starving because prayer is not a way of life. The word of God, the word of God must remain a constant, a lifelong constant and the priority of our life. You cannot have an intimate relation with someone that you don't know. And this is how we get to know God. This is how we get to know Jesus. If you're not in the word of God as a priority in your life, your spirit is starving and you have weakened yourself not only to the point of not being able to live for the kingdom, but you have weakened yourself that you no longer can fight off the attacks of the enemy. See, see, Satan and his cohorts, which would be demons, and I know we don't, you know, we get all freaky with the word demons, so let's just call them fallen angels. Satan and his fallen angels, if they can keep you from prayer, and if they can keep you from the word of God, you will live a defeated life in, in this world. Yes, you'll go to heaven. Yes, you'll spend eternity with God. But here on earth, if Satan and his cohorts have kept you from the word of God as a way of life and prayer as a way of life. He wins. The enemy, 
does not fear a proclaiming Christian who is not praying or in the word of God as a priority, as a way of life. You have nothing in your life that he fears. Yeah, he lost your soul, but he does not fear your witness here because you've got nothing to witness with. There's a story in Acts chapter 19, and we'll get to it way down the road, but there's some men and they're going around and they're driving out. They're casting out demons. And it says in the story that they're casting out demons in the name of the Lord Jesus, whom Paul preaches. So right away we know that they know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Jesus is Paul's guy. They're driving. They know about the power that is in the name, but they don't know Jesus on an intimate place. They lack intimacy. And so they they come across this guy who has a demon in him, and they go and they're going to do their usual cast out the demon. And they walk up to the guy, and and, and I could could just picture this scene in my head, and the demon through this guy says, "Uh, guys, Jesus I know. Paul, I know him too. But you, not so much. And it says that, these guys took such a beating from this guy possessed by a demon, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. See, they knew about the power. They knew about the Messiah, but they didn't know him. And as the story goes on, it says when people heard about this, they were seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. I believe that's what has rendered the church ineffective in the world today. The name of Jesus is no longer held in high honor. I mean, yeah, we we, we say the right things. We know the right things to say. We sing the songs. We lift our hands. We have all the Christianese down. But our lives and our soul does not match what comes out of our mouth. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus quotes Isaiah And he says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And what is in your heart will manifest itself in your life. You can say all the things you want to say. You could, again, regurgitate chapter and verse. You can look very Christian and, 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 uh, and you know, hop around and say everything is good all the time and praise God. The bananas are on sale. Stop and shout. Woo-hoo. And you can move through their lips. Honor me, but their hearts are far from me. I guess the question comes down to this. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? I'm going to have a few people up here that will pray for you today. If you need prayer. If, if God is kind of moving and churning in your, in your heart right now and, and you want to get back on track. Because it's not just what you say, it's what's here. And what's in here will manifest in your life. If he is not the priority, then you will not live in such a way that he is the priority. And everything around you and all the busyness of this world will pull you away from intimacy with Christ. So Jim is, uh, I mean, Jim's not here. Susie G, are you here? No one's here. I'm going to pray for people. 
And so if you would like to be prayed for and Sue is here and Jim will come out of the children's church he's teaching today, we want to pray for you. We want to pray healing and blessing that God would once again um, ignite a passion to know Jesus, to know him so that you can walk in the blessings that he is just waiting to pour out upon you. Intimacy comes by knowing him, not knowing about him. So Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the the dads, for this day of celebration for Father's Day. But uh, God, I I ask that you would bless those who this day is, is, is hard for, for those men and women who may have lost their dad. And, they, and they, they, they feel that pain and angst today. I pray a blessing upon them. I pray a blessing uh, on the men and women who, who never had a good relationship with their father or don't even know who their dad is. Father, bless them and allow you, let them uh, look to you now as their father. And would you love them the way that only a father can love? And will you bless them in a way that only a father can bless? And so I ask a special anointing and blessing upon them. And I pray that we would never take for granted our dads, those of us who've had good relationships with our fathers or that whose fathers are living today. May we as their children bless them and honor them and communicate in real ways their value to us. And so we love you. We thank you, Lord. And we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Woo woo.